Amen. Take your copy of God's Word, if you will, this morning and turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. And it is awesome to be back with you today. I was out last week, uh, and it is, it is good to be home. I will tell you that. It is, home is a place where your wife does not make you walk 12 miles a day. Does that? When you go on vacation, my wife feels like you've got to go and you've got to hike. And I say vacation, but we also did the soccer camps and she gave me extra encouragement with all the soccer camps going on for the activities that we were about. So between that and then a couple of days of hiking, whew, it's good to be home. It's good to be with you. Now, I know last week you had a great individual to fill the pulpit, and I know you think he's great, especially because he let you out 10 minutes early. I got so many texts. It's amazing how encouraging you people are. <laughs> Just remember that John told you he was finishing a sermon that I had already preached, right? I had done most of the work. I am grateful to have folks like John to be able to take the pulpit and preach while I'm gone and, and just uh, the character that they have and the integrity they have and also just the substantive effort that they put into it. So I'm very grateful for my staff. I want you to look at Genesis 39 today because I do want to talk to you about integrity. Because integrity matters. It matters in all of our lives. Some years ago, I was in a leadership class at New Orleans Seminary, and I came across this guy named Warren Bennis. Warren Bennis wrote about leadership. He was one of the most respected figures in the late 20th century and even into the early 21st century. He was one of the most respected figures on leadership. He wrote a book, a seminal work, called On Becoming a Leader. He was not writing from a distinctive Christian background. But he was writing about leadership principles overall. And what he determined was that integrity, now get this, integrity was at the core of every leader. That integrity was the most important trait a leader had. Integrity. And he defined it this way. He said integrity means alignment of words and actions with inner values. It means sticking to these values even when an alternative way is easier or more advantageous. A leader with integrity can be trusted, he said, and he will be admired for sticking to strong values. Those leaders also act as powerful model for people to copy, thus building an entire organization with powerful and effective cultural values. Warren Bennis. Again, writing in the academic world, serving as president of a university in, in leadership forums, what he determined was integrity was at the heart of every leader. And I would say to you this morning, I would submit to you this morning, that integrity is the trait that drives every other area of our lives. Who we are, our values, who we are in our inner self, and how we are committed to those values make a difference each and every day of our lives. I've often said that when you look for staff members, you look for ministers, and some of you know we're looking for two different ministers right now, our associate minister of music and our young adult minister. Let me just say to you, this week, if you have a moment, stop and pray for those searches. Would you do that? 
because it is important that we bathe this effort in prayer. It is important that we find God's people for this. So make sure that you are praying for us. But what I say about finding leaders, finding individuals, is that you need to make sure that they are competent. You want them to know how to do their job, that they have the right chemistry. You want them to fit with us as a church and as a people, but also they need character. Now, I don't want characters. I have enough of them in the church already. But they need character. They need integrity. They need values. They need a firm center that will direct them and guide them and hold them in place. Joseph, he was flesh and blood like us. And yet, he demonstrated integrity in his life. Genesis chapter 39, verse 1 and verse 2, remind us that he had integrity even when he was abandoned by others. Look at this. So Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So get this. Here you have Joseph. He's been abandoned to Egypt. Remember, his brothers have sold him into slavery. His brothers, his family, the people that were supposed to mean the most to him had actually conspired to send him to Egypt. Egypt being a place that he was not familiar with, a culture, a language he did not understand, Egypt, the land of the enemy. Joseph is sold into slavery there in Egypt, and he finds himself in the house of Potiphar. The scripture here says, captain of the guard. The Jewish commentary said that that basically Potiphar, as a captain of the guard, would act as chief executioner. That most of those that found themselves in this elite service were chief executioners. So this is a powerful guy. This is a guy that holds power over life and death itself. And Joseph is now in his house in servitude. Looks like all the makings of integrity, right? I mean, think of this. If you had been abandoned by the dearest people to you, by your family, if you'd been abandoned by your friends, if you'd been abandoned in such a way that all you could do is find yourself what, in what you think the land of the enemy is, integrity may not be high on your priority list. As a matter of fact, when you're abandoned by others, it's very easy to slide down the slope of immorality. Is it not? When you've gone through difficulties, when you feel like everybody has just isolated you and alienated you, how easy is it for you to slip in to pity, self-pity, to immorality, to dark thoughts? It's so easy. Bitterness. I was going to ask for a show of hands to ask how many people have ever suffered from bitterness. But then I felt like I would just call some of you to lie. I mean, bitterness. Could you imagine 
the root of bitterness that would grow up in some of us if we had been treated in such an immoral way. If we had been abandoned by our family and abandoned by our friends, many of us would have started looking at them and everybody else with a sense of bitterness. I would have. I think I told you this a few weeks ago, but I probably need to remind you. um, Your pastor is not perfect. Some of you are still grieving that. I'm not perfect. I mean, I can have some of these attitudes affect me. I can have some of these temptations come in my life. Bitterness is one of those things that if I'm not careful, I can hang on to. And I can allow it to take root in who I am. And it can consume me if I am not careful. But I'm not alone. So many of us in this sanctuary, so many in that gathering today who've experienced that bitterness. And when bitterness takes over, integrity is not high on our priority list. We're not necessarily thinking how we are to keep our character integrity. Sometimes we're just like, what does it matter? We've been abandoned by everybody. What does it matter? Some years ago, when I was at New Orleans Seminary, there was a professor there, Dr. Jerry Barlow, who I loved dearly. Dr. Barlow was called home by God just this last year or so. Dr. Barlow taught pastoral ministry. And he looked at us and he said, guys, there are times in your lives, times in your ministries, where you need to halt. We looked at him as he was getting ready to give us the explanation. Halt. H-A-L-T. Stop. He said, there are times in your lives when you need to halt. He said, when you are hurt, when you are angry, when you are lonely, when you are tired, you need to halt. You need to stop. Because you never make good decisions. And if you're not careful, you will slide down that slippery slope of unethical and immoral behavior. You will say things that you wished you had never said. You will do things you wished you had never done. Halt. Stop. What great counsel Dr. Barlow gave us. And what great counsel it is still for us today. When I go through premarital counseling with young couples, I always tell them that. That there are times in your life, in your marriage, when you'll be hurt, you'll be angry, you'll be lonely, you'll be tired. That's when you need to make sure that you halt, you stop. Because you will not make good decisions. You will say things to your spouse. You will say things to others you never should have said. And you will do things that you wished you had never done. Halt. Stop. Here Joseph is in the atmosphere of... The atmosphere of Egypt. The atmosphere of the world. The atmosphere of the enemy. But instead of becoming bitter, instead of thinking about all those things that had happened to him 
and being discouraged by those things, we're told that he maintains his integrity. Maybe he steps back and he stops, he halts, so that that bitterness does not consume him. But then the scripture says that he serves. Look at verse 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. The Lord was with him. That's what verse 2 had said. Here it says the master, Potiphar himself, notes that the Lord is with Joseph. I may come back to this in a few weeks, but look at verse 3 again, where you have the all-cap Lord. Remember that? When you're reading through the Old Testament, and you see in your English translation that Lord, all cap, it means that even this Egyptian chief executioner, even he could see the God of Yahweh, the God of Israel, Yahweh himself, in Joseph's life. The one true God he could see in Joseph's life. And he knew that God was with him. Look in verse 4. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Love that word. Serve him. In the Hebrew text, it is the same word which speaks to service in the temple. It is service in worship itself before God. It is, it is this idea of service and ministry before God himself. So here is Joseph... And he looks at his work before him, and instead of being bitter, instead of blaming all those people who abandoned him, he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this opportunity as an opportunity that God has given me. And I am going to work, and I am going to serve to the best of my ability. Some phraseology we've used around here for some years. Work is worship. That everything that you do, whoever you are in whatever situation you find yourself, the work that God has called you to do is part of your worship and service before Him. Not just the preacher, all of us. When we work, we are working on behalf of our one true Master and King. And here Joseph is serving. He is working on behalf of Potiphar, but he is working, more importantly, for God himself. Says that he serves. Isn't it amazing how God uses the small things to prepare us for the big things? Training for greater things always takes place in smaller things. God's got a plan for him. See, this is what's cool. We know the story. So God, we know God has a plan and God is going to elevate him. But before God can put him in a place of great, great stewardship, God's put him in a place of this smaller stewardship so that he can be faithful and demonstrate his skill and hone his giftedness. He serves because he serves with this idea of pleasing God and demonstrating integrity even when he's abandoned by others. And the scripture says that he was prosperous. Again, 
Verse 4 says, Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Everything was given to Joseph because Joseph demonstrated stewardship and integrity in the Egyptian's house. Now, I think the temptation just continued. We'll see in a moment where it continued with Potiphar's wife, but I think here temptation is just continuing as well because when you are prosperous, that might be the most dangerous time. It might be one of the moments when temptation truly confronts you. Because as he's getting more and more prosperity, as he's seeing all these things grow, can't you imagine? I mean, some of us would have been there, and again, that bitterness would have really taken hold of us, and we would have said, you know, the reason Joseph, I mean, the reason Potiphar is so blessed and so wealthy is because of me. It's me. I'm the one doing this. He doesn't even know what he's got except the bread that he eats on his table. It's all about me. And there must have been the temptation, maybe, maybe, to just take a little of that. To just skim a little bit of the profits. What would he ever know? I mean, this is a big corporation we're running here. Who would ever know if I take just a little bit? May I remind you that God always knows all things. God sees our actions and activities and our thoughts. God knows all things in our hearts and in our lives. So first of all, God knows. Second of all, God can bring to bear all these things. And He can present them before the world itself. Joseph. Here he is laboring with integrity and effectiveness, bringing forth the prosperity that was flowing from God. Hey, and this is a reality, that sometimes God will allow prosperity and blessing to flow from us to others. Joseph is a, hey, you can't miss this. Joseph was being used by God and prosperity and blessing was flowing to the house of Potiphar because of Joseph. It was. He would have been right to ascertain that he was the reason. But even in that, he demonstrated integrity. Look at verse 6. You have a parenthetical statement that opens up what I think is the beginning of a new section or a new narrative. We find out that Joseph has integrity when he's been abandoned by others. But we're about to see that Joseph has integrity when he's allured by others, when he's attracted by others. Look at verse 6. At the end it says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. What does that have to do with the previous section? 
Doesn't seem like anything. Remember, he's just running the house. Everything's good. But this parenthetical statement is placed there to get you prepared for the events that will happen. It says that this guy, Joseph, was handsome in form and appearance. What does that mean? It means he was a good-looking guy. How old was he? We don't know for sure, but he was 17 when he left. Probably by this time, because it would have taken time to build up trust with Potiphar and for Potiphar to put him in these places. He, he's probably at least 20, somewhere along there, 20 years old, in his prime for most people. Some of us hit our prime in 40, but some people do the <laughs> handsome, good-looking young guy. And it is noticed. It is noticed. Verse 7, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. Chuck Swindoll says that the scripture does not waste words. And neither do, does Potiphar's wife. It's a direct approach, is it not? She just cuts to the chase. She says, you're good looking. I would like to have this relationship with you. Temptation. Perhaps, perhaps Joseph could gain some type of upper hand. Perhaps she was beautiful. I mean, this is a man of position and power. Perhaps she was beautiful. Maybe there was temptation that was there. But Max Lucado. He said some time ago, don't make matters worse by some, doing something that you'll regret. It's a bad situation. Nobody disagrees with that. He's in Egypt. He's in this land of the enemy. He's trying to serve. And now he has his master's wife pursuing him. Verse 8. But he refused. He refused. Do you know that you and I have the power to say no? I know the culture says we don't. But I tell you, based upon the promise of God and the word of God, you and I have the power to say no. We don't have to give in. Why? Because you and I have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Hey, I don't want to move too far off of this, but let me just say this. Joseph was flesh and blood. He was about 20 years old, and listen, he was a red-blooded young man. And yet, he said no. You and I have the power to say no, because Joseph had the power to say no. And Joseph did not have the power to say no on his own. He had the power to say no. Why? Because the Lord was with him. Because if you and I try to fight all these temptations on our own, we are going to fall every time. Because you and I cannot confront the work of Satan himself through our own fleshly efforts. We have to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit of God within us. 
Don't miss it. The Lord is with you. If you are a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. If you are a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you. And what the Holy Spirit has done is give you the power and the strength to look that temptation in the eye and to say, absolutely not. He refused. He refused. And he said this to his master's wife. Oh, I look, love this. Verse 8. Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. In other words, I will not sin against my master. I will not sin against Potiphar. Potiphar, who is he? He's the chief executioner of the Egyptians. He's the chief executioner of the enemy. What responsibility do, does Joseph have to Potiphar? It reminds us that all of us have a responsibility. A common responsibility to humanity itself. We are taught to love our neighbor. If we are loving our neighbor, then that means that we intentionally choose things that will not hurt our neighbor. The Ten Commandments, so often we get caught up on the negative of it. Understand that what God was trying to build was a good godly culture. For example, He didn't want you to steal from somebody else because that would hurt somebody else, hurt part of the community. It was not going to be good for anybody. He didn't want you to covet and to take from somebody else because that would injure somebody else. You were to love your neighbor. Even in the Old Testament, you were to love your neighbor. Jesus reminded us, who is our neighbor? <laughs> It's not just the person that lives by you. It, it may be the person that is totally hostile toward you. That's what he was saying in the parable of the Good Samaritan. So here, Joseph, you got to love this integrity. I'm not going to hurt my boss. Some of us in here, we've had bosses we wanted to hurt in some way. I didn't hear you laugh, did I, Jeremy? Okay. I heard it from this side. It might have been John. I don't know. It may be the worst boss you've ever had. It might be somebody that you disdain. It might be somebody you say, well, they're not even a Christian. It does not matter. Integrity screams and says that we have a duty to our fellow man, our fellow woman. We need to demonstrate integrity in our relationships. So he says, I can't do this against him. And much more so, how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That God thing, it just keeps coming back. Joseph says, and even if he wasn't in the equation, this would not be right before God himself. He said no, and he refused. Because integrity matters. It matters in our relationships. Verse 10, so it was, she spoke to Joseph day by day. If the devil would just leave you alone sometimes. 
This says it was a constant temptation. Day by day. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, remember? It says that the devil left him for a season. After he had refused to give in to the temptation, the devil left him for a season. That meant the devil was coming back. And he did come back in Jesus' earthly ministry and life. And this is it. You can say no and you can refuse, but Satan will be back. Temptation will come again. And here, Potiphar's wife would plead with Joseph day by day. Because the people of God, listen, the people of God are constant targets for Satan. You don't doubt this. If you walk in this place today, if you have claimed the name of Christ, if you have followed him through baptism, if you have in some way associated with the body of Jesus Christ, just know a target has now been placed upon your back and Satan is going to come at you with everything he's got. Well, Brother Reggie, I came to be encouraged today. I'm not sure it's the most encouraging thing to know that when I walk out of here, I've got a target on me. The encouraging part again is the Lord will never leave you or forsake you. The Lord was with Joseph and he would be with you. You've got a target. It's a reality. Know it. But you never forget. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. He has given you strength to overcome. He did not heed her. He did not lie with her. He was not going to be with her, the scripture says. Me personally, I, I, I think he was intentionally trying to place himself in pure environments. He tried intentionally not to be alone with her. I, I believe that because it says in verse 11, it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were inside that she called him by his garment, saying, lie with me. So no matter what he was trying to do to plan for purity, there comes this moment when nobody else is in the house. She is there. She has been pleading with him. She says, again, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. He ran. <laughs> he said, no. He had the power to refuse, but when there was a moment like this, all he could do was run. You've heard me refer to this biblical principle before. I call it again. Come on, guys, I've been here five years. You remember? The gingerbread man principle. My deep theology. Remember the gingerbread man? Run, run as fast as you can. You can't catch me. Why? Because I'm the gingerbread man. And there are going to be times in your life where temptation comes to you. You say, all right, all I got to do is just turn and run. Flee. The New Testament says flee from every appearance of evil. Just get out. So what does Joseph do? He runs. And then what does he do? But demonstrate integrity when he's accused. 
by others. False accusations. Scripture there tells us that he left his garment in her hand and he fled, fled and ran outside. His last coat, the coat of many colors, was used to prove his death. This coat, this garment is going to be used to prove his guilt. Accusations are going to be made. Verse 14, she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, is brought into us a Hebrew. Don't miss this in the text. I believe it is supposed to be racially charged. The Egyptians thought that they were so much better than the Hebrews. These rural people of the bush, the Hebrews. Don't, don't miss the hostility that's within that word and within her message. He has brought a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. And so it was when the master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. She vilified him. She referred to him in these harsh in sensitive ways, she accused him of attacking her. <laughs> Again, when you have to face such false accusations, integrity is probably not high on your priority list. You've been abandoned. You've been allured. You said no. You've demonstrated integrity this whole time. Now you've been accused. Verse 20, again. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. Showed him mercy. Mercy? Mercy? How in the world could you say the Lord showed him Mercy? He's in prison, falsely accused, abandoned. All he'd been trying to do was serve the Lord. And now, once again, mercy. The Bible says the Lord showed him mercy. The Lord was with him. Even when everybody else thought the Lord had abandoned him himself, he was there and he gave him favor inside of the keeper in the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Integrity again. 
integrity. Because it doesn't matter the circumstances. Doesn't matter the temptation. Doesn't matter what you're facing. God still calls for us to demonstrate integrity. Integrity matters. When you're abandoned, when you want to grow bitter, when you want to give up, demonstrate integrity. Keep serving. When you're allured, when you're attracted by others, demonstrate integrity. Say no to the temptation. Run if you have to. When you have been accused, you keep showing integrity. Because integrity matters for the kingdom of God. Oh, may I just close with this? I ask myself sometimes, why Joseph was not killed? Potiphar was the chief executioner. Why didn't he just kill him? It wasn't like they had to have a trial or jury or anything like that. Why didn't he just kill him? Well, some people will tell you Potiphar probably didn't believe his wife. If you read some of the commentaries, they'll say, well, Potiphar probably just didn't believe her because she had this kind of personality and character. In other words, she liked integrity. And he had seen Joseph, so maybe he just said, you know what, I'm not sure about this. I've got to deal with him, but I'm not going to kill him. Maybe. But I'm going to tell you this. Whatever Potiphar thought his reasoning was, God had a different reasoning. Because God still had a plan for Joseph. And God still was going to use Joseph. So God showed him, as I said a moment ago, mercy. He was with him. And he was going to continue to use him. Listen, as long as there's breath in our lungs here on this earth, God's still got a purpose and plan for us here on this earth. He wants to use us. And he wants us to use us most effectively. We demonstrate integrity. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day. Lord, thank you for the challenge and how every one of us in this place, from this pastor, Lord, to everyone that's seated here in this sanctuary and there in that gathering, how every one of us need to hear this message. And God, we know we can't do it on our own. God, we've already messed up. We failed on our own. But God, today in this place, we trust you. Because we do believe you're with us, guiding us, leading us, empowering us. God, speak to us. Help us to commit this day in this place to seek you and the integrity that you have provided in our hearts and lives. Now, Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?